welcome to the podcast, The Common Bridge with Richard Helpy. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors, but with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. My name is Brian Kruger, and from time to time, I'll be the moderator and host of this podcast. Rich, good to have you back again um, on this uh, on this Veterans Day in 19, uh, 2019. How are you? Uh, doing great uh, on this first snow day in the great state of Michigan. And I, I do think it's important to thank our veterans, uh, people that set aside their lives to serve, um, who did it selflessly, uh, who endured uh, danger, and were always ready to go. So veterans, thank you very much. Um, I hope that you'll pause and accept the gratitude of a community and a nation. Well said. Um, you know, last week we had finished up on uh, on student debt, and and on your social media post you had gone on last week. Um, really interesting topic. Uh, reaches out to a lot of different audience members, but you had mentioned last week, "Hey, look, I'm not done with this. You want to you want to talk a little bit more about it here in episode six? So it's all yours. If you want to finish up that topic or keep going, or well, great, Brian, and this student debt subprime crisis uh, is indeed a crisis because it is putting weight on our economy. It's putting particularly weight on a uh, generation, uh, a generation that really should be enthused going out and creating households, uh, growing families, uh, buying refrigerators, uh, creating a better world, uh, yet they have to retreat um, into a supported setting in order to pay off these monstrous debts. I, I think it's a scandal. Um, I think it's a, a huge moral issue that a college, a university, a trade school can be promoting that they're going to help a young person's future, while at the same time knowing full well they're putting a debt burden on them. Well, you had mentioned last week, too, that there seemed to be some winners in this, and, and none of them were the student. They're, they're the banks, and the colleges seem to come out okay, but the student is the one that's burdened the most. That, that's, exa- that's exactly right. And you know, we know it's a problem. And the other thing that we know is that um, our political machinery at the federal level is horribly broken. Um, we have two political parties that are very adept at attacking each other. Um, they're both living on the extreme. And in the meantime, uh, the problems of the United States of America are not getting addressed. And our problems are solvable. We've talked about health care. We've talked about uh, gun violence. And I hope that we get to talk about other things. Sure, sure. Now, and I'm not claiming to say, gosh, I've got all the answers, but at least we need to look at the, the problem, admit that we do have a problem and say, how can we go about fixing it? Mm-hmm. Um, last week, I spent some time with a, a couple in their uh, mid thirties. Um, they had been uh, privileged enough to go to a liberal arts college on the East coast. And they said they were getting requests to donate to back to the college. And they said, you know, they're not going to do that. Uh, I asked why. They said, well, the, the college has a big endowment. Uh, the college keeps building buildings and the college keeps raising tuition. And they did not want to see students going into the same kind of debt profile um, that they have. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they weren't they weren't adverse to lending to the situation, but not necessarily this time directly to the foundation. 
That's right. And so when you think about what some of the solutions to this could be, so first of all, the tax code is very powerful. Uh, People, institutions, enterprises all tend to do what they're incented to do. And if you have a, a college or university that can get revenue by directing people to go get a loan that they probably never can pay back, guess what? They're going to do that. So one answer might be this. Any money that comes in that's from student debt, either there's a surcharge on it that it's taxable, uh, or it goes and it uh, decrements your tax-free status. Uh, Give those colleges, universities, trade schools, public, private, for-profit, not-for-profit, a disincentive to quit piling on debt. Uh, We need to arrest the problem, and, and that to me is one part of the solution. Um, A second part of this is other forms of funding. Um, We could incent the same educational organizations with matching, incent them to provide matching grants to scholarships. Um, And without making an endorsement, I actually went out and did some research. Um, There's a a couple of websites, uh, one particularly called Mm scholarships.com, and they're looking, it looks to me like they're trying to match uh, people that want to provide a scholarship with people seeking scholarship. Yeah. yeah, there's been an effort on that for a while, but it seems to only now be coming into really good, effective focus. Yeah, yeah. and so um, there's been other proposals floated like uh, make universities uh, required that they need to have four to eight degrees that can be accomplished in uh, four years or less and meet the median income of their service area. Now, frankly, I think that would be very, very hard to administer, um, but not a bad idea uh, because it is all about price point ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, so arresting the growth of student debt by provi- using the tax code for, for uh, disincentives, I think it would be a step in the right direction. Sure. Also an incentive to give scholarships, to give grants versus send students off to take on subprime debt. You, you would do that from the, from the uh, tax form level? Uh, yes, I'd use the tax code really? to get there, yes. Uh, taxing endowments, which was part of the tax reform most recently passed by the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. Um, what's also, the, What's the pushback on that? It seems to me that'd be a clear solution. Ta- because those endowments are huge. We talked about that in a previous episode. What, who's pushing back on that, aside from the obvious the universities? I mean, it seems to me that that would be a taxable solution. That is who's pushing back. And it really gets into what was the theory behind a not-for-profit status. So you want to have not-for-profit status for community good. Great. I think we can all agree to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there comes a point when the endowments go into the billions and you're impoverishing young people and you want to call the moral question, is that the public good? And I challenge anybody to defend that model. So in terms of correcting it, use the tax code to penalize using student debt for tuition, use the tax code to incent matching grants, perhaps use the tax code, amp it up a little bit to to, uh, tax the um, endowments themselves. I think that will arrest the growth. Mm -hmm. And then we have to get back to the other side of this equation is the horses that are already out of the barn in that we have young people today who have completed a degree, but 
they owe a substantial amount of money that they're going to be paying back for decades. Maybe, maybe it's a hill that never gets climbed. It, it, right? Precisely. We have people that took out student loans that never finished. We have people that would have gone to college, but didn't because of the debt. And we had people that took on the debt and somehow managed to pay it off. Um, so I don't, have, I don't know how we sort all that out, um, but it is achievable. And what I would put out as a couple of uh, mileposts would be this. One thing we perhaps think about a checkbox on our 1040, that if you want to direct part of your tax bill, $10, $100, whatever you want it to be, toward relieving student debt, you check the box. I think it's an excellent idea. You and I talked about that earlier, and I'd never heard that, and that just seems so uh, easy. And I think there's a lot of people because, you know, regardless of how polarized our society seems, there's this middle ground that we tend to look for in our, in our podcast and our social media um, that would check that box and go, all right, let's, let's get this moving in the right direction at least to try to have some relief for these kids. I, I think that's a fantastic idea. Yeah, right? and now that, that brings in funding. Now, you have to deal with how, how do you get that funding out, right. um, and, and that is a, a much trickier calculation. Uh, perhaps it is also something on the 1040 of the person that has the student debt uh, that applies for some relief through the tax code, and, and we use some of those tax dollars coming in from the checkbox right. in order to pay down those individual loans. Um, but again, just to put a cap on this, we need to arrest the growth of this subprime debt, and we need to find a way to rectify uh, as much of the damage that's been caused. And Finally, guess who's working on it? Not Democrats, not Republicans, and they're fighting each other in Washington, D.C. And meanwhile, the problem rolls on and rolls on and rolls on. That's correct. It gets and right to the thrust of why you're even here and why you've decided to do the common bridge, right? That's, that's precise. And, and uh, you, know, you know, potentially, uh, if people start asking their representatives, their senators, their presidential candidates. What are you doing about student debt? Give me a concrete answer, not something polarized on the extreme. Mm -hmm. Where are you working with members of Congress, uh, despite whether they're in your party or outside of your party or independent or a third party or whatever, to get the problem solved? Yeah. Let's make that the benchmark. Yeah. Well, I think the, one of the first people I'd call on that would be you <laughs> to talk to him about, about I'll take solutions. Him to, I'll take him to Camp David. <laughs> Nobody leaves until we have an answer. <laughs> bring the, the actuaries. Lock the door. <laughs> right. Bring, bring the finance people. We've got, <laughs> we've got some uh, number crunching to do. Uh, but again, it's a solvable problem if we get after it. Okay. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And, and maybe, maybe this dovetails a little bit into a personal income taxes to um, we were talking uh, last week that we wanted to get to this topic. Is this something you want to go into today? Um, it's, uh, I don't know, it, 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 can, uh, it can have a lot of different tentacles out there, but is this something you want to talk about today and um, de define the problem and talk about solutions or something you want to go on with uh, later on? Let's talk a little bit about the tax code. I'm going to stay on to uh, personal income taxes. Okay. Uh, that is the Sounds largest good. single source of revenue for the federal government. Um, uh, tax receipts are at an all-time high. And, uh, you, you know, you wonder, well, gee, how could that be? Well, spending's at an even greater uh, all-time high. 
So, mm -hmm. you know, we're not bringing in enough money to fund the services that we need. Um, not very many people understand the tax code. Uh, there are nuances and rules that are piled upon rules and re regulation um, and uh, special handling. And uh, nobody really understands how it works. And what I would propose would be something very, very simple. All right, first of all, everybody pays a little something. So let's say that on your first $2,000 of income, you pay 10%. So that's $200, mm -hmm. all right? Everybody's got a little stake in the game. Yep. And then every individual gets a $25,000 annual uh, deductible, all right? So that means you're, you know, your first $25,000, first $26,000, you're not subject to federal income tax. Mm -hmm. Above that, you everybody pays the same flat rate. And I'll pick a random number, 25%. So if you take the family of four, what you would have there after that first small contribution would be uh, the first $100,000 of income would not be taxed at all. So median family income, making fifty-two dollars to $70,000, uh, would pay no federal income tax. All right, they could live uh, on that money. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, if you were a person making a million dollars a year, then you would subtract your $25,000 and you would pay 25% on that amount. Uh, it's absolutely understandable. It's absolutely fair. Um, the only deduction that I would suggest would be up to 10% of your income can go to charitable causes, just like we have today, and that's it. Okay. Now, um, you're going to get some pushback on folks that think that's not progressive enough. Um, and what would you say to that? Would you, would you, would you, yeah, what would you say to that? Because that's usually the big pushback, especially today when you're looking at uh, the dichotomy of the haves and the have-nots or the perceived have and have-nots. They feel that there should be some punitive ta uh, taxing done with folks who have succeeded. Uh, I have trouble with that, but um, what, do you, what do you think about that? Well, I'd, I'd show them the numbers. It is progressive. Because but if is it you, progressive enough? It, it's, it, well, it is progressive in that if you're a person that, I mean, I can't do the math in my head, so I'll take out that first piece. But the, uh, um, I was told there'd be no math. You're right, exactly. <laughs> um, let's say that you're that, uh, that family of four making um, $150,000 a year, hmm. all right? And you have two professionals working, and you're, you're making that um, uh, that $150,000 a year, you'd get $100,000 in tax uh, deductions, and then you would pay 25% of that remaining $50,000, or, or your tax bill would be $12,500, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's say you were that same couple making $80,000. You'd have the $100,000 deductible, you'd pay nothing. So somebody making eighty, dollars somebody making one hundred and fifty, dollars it goes up progressively. Um, Let's take that up to somebody making $1.1 million, right? And by the way, I'm counting all forms of income, sure. whether it's wages, capital gains, uh, inheritance, inheritance, whatever it might be. Whatever falls into that. Uh, whatever whatever falls in. Now, outside the inheritance, we're going to come back to that, um, yeah. uh, about money that escapes an estate, mm -hmm. right? So there's a little nuance on that, but we, we can come back there. Um, but you're going to pay 25%. On that, so take that person that makes 1.1 1 
uh, million now, family of four. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're going to get their hundred thousand dollar deduction, and that's going to take them down to a million. They're going to pay two hundred fifty thousand. Now, so here you have a family making eighty thousand pays zero, family making one hundred fifty thousand pays twelve thousand five hundred, family making one point one million pays two hundred fifty thousand. That makes sense to that, me. I also think, uh, Rich, that there's that there's a thought that. Uh, among a lot of people that think that the rich, they don't pay taxes. Somehow that gets zeroed out. And in your plan, at least it's like, look, we're all doing this. Here it is. Here's the number. There's, you're taking the tax code and you're making it from uh, uh, 700 pages into about three, right? I mean, it's going to be very specific. Here's your number. Here's your tax. Exactly right. And it's, uh, I think there's also a perception and a lot of truth that people with means have mechanisms to avoid taxes right. and shelters and things that they put and, and them in. And that's where the resentment grows a lot with the folks who are yeah, and, not. Yeah, and, and so let's take, for example, uh, uh, to touch a uh, inflammatory topic, the uh, president's income tax. Mm -hmm. Okay, if it was printed, my guess would be that it would, if it was printed double side, might be four or five feet tall. <laughs> All right, yeah. and that particularly with real estate, it might be taller than that. Yeah. All right. Is that a little ridiculous or what? And this notion that someone's going to go in there, ferret out two or three uh, pages and say, aha, I have found an issue. Yeah. Um, wouldn't it be better if the American people were sitting here saying, doesn't matter how the president made his money or how the family made the money, we're all paying the same rate on, according to the same rules, period, end of discussion. I would rather see our country lose the uh, jealousy and say, you know, good for them. Um, I, I see little dispute when you say, should uh, Bill Gates's or Steve Jobs' uh, families be rewarded for the tremendous changes they've made in society? I don't think people really push back against that. Um, though on the same token, when you look at the number of billionaires in America, there's a disturbing number of Walton heirs that right, are right. that you, are there. You had brought that up, yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah. you know, part of me says, well, okay, good for them. Um, as Joe Biden said on the campaign trail at one time, I don't think 500 billionaires is the problem in the country. Yeah, I think Joe Biden was right on that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, he he was right about that, and so trying to craft a a tax code to penalize a small group. Uh, it's just an exercise in futility. It's a exercise in uh, divisiveness. Mm -hmm. um, but some of the breaks could be modified, like the step up in basis. And, and if I can explain that, that is uh, if your grandfather bought a stock at $100 and uh, bequeathed it to you when your grandfather passed and it was then worth 1000 um, there's no tax on that $900. Though had your grandfather sold it, would have been taxed on 900. Right. So that step up in basis really needs to be addressed. Um, it's a it's a uh, an anomaly of the tax code. Um, the other thing in terms of inheritance taxes, uh, I think it's a good thing that people want to provide for future generations, and that they're in a position to do that, whether it's a business, a farm, a building, um, a savings. If they've you know, been frugal and they want to pass that on to their children and grandchildren, they should be able to do that without that uh, being punished. 
I agree. Um, it, it, and as far as the, if we go back to the founding fathers, would it have been their intention then too to take uh, the inheritance and take, taking your argument the other way? It's like you know we're gonna we're gonna take a lot of that from it and we're gonna give it to the federal government. If you look at it from that uh, standpoint. It, that seems unfair. Uh, certainly, if you talk to a libertarian, he's going to say, "No, okay. So, if, if we're going to uh, uh, redistribute that wealth, why does it have to go to the federal government?" Uh, some folks have have a big problem with that. And and that's where the uh, charitable part of this comes in. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have done great things in this country with hospitals, uh, with schools, yeah. uh, theaters, mm-hmm. and all those parts of life that those aspects that make life so rich um, but that may not be great business enterprises and and that's where we have to get into this better spirit of giving we have to get off the polar extremes we have to quit worrying about whether somebody's going to be advantaged or disadvantaged mm-hmm. um, and say what's the right fair thing to do and let's come together in the middle mm-hmm. um, my guess would be if people are listening to this podcast, I have annoyed people on both uh, polar extremes. Um, and that's okay because the essence of a compromise is that you know people do come together. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast, recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.